0: Do we have any difficult people in the house? (laughs) No, of course not. We don't, right? Do you have to deal with any difficult people from time to time? Yes. We're going to be talking a little bit more about difficult people today. My name is Andy Stovall. I'm the Congregational Life Pastor here at the bridge. And it is an honor to be here today. Pastor Jim is in Mount Olive today uh, preaching there. Uh, how about them pretty babies? Were they not just awesome? I tell you what, I love me some babies. I'm just glad other people are having them. So <laughs> Amen, Kirsten. Yes. <Yeah>, so <laughs> No, we were we we're we we're very blessed. We we're very thankful, but um, you know, they, they grow up, you know, and then there are new things that you that you navigate. So, um, but always an honor to participate and be a part of of that service. Um, really, I mean, if you, and I know you guys were paying attention. Really, a parental dedication, mom and dad saying we're committing to raise our child to to honor and serve God with with our life. And so, it's just an awesome, awesome time. Um, we are talking about difficult people. We are in uh, Sermon 3 of our series. We've talked about hypercritical people. We've talked about overly needy people being dependent, interdependent, codependent, all that kind of stuff last week. Today we are talking about manipulative people. Anybody ever known any manipulative people and how do you deal with them? It's a tongue twister for me, manipulative um, Well, they can be demanding. Manipulative people can be controlling. I have been in my life manipulative from time to time. And I'm sure you have as well at some point in our life. You know, we've done that. But uh, the Bible is full of stories of manipulative people. Jacob manipulated Esau because he wanted the birthright of his oldest brother. Um, uh, Herodias manipulated Herod. Uh, when she wanted the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Uh, Delilah manipulated Samson, probably one of those stories we're very, very familiar with, with a very sad ending. Samson loved this woman, she was a bad woman, and she manipulated him big time. Judges 16, beginning in verse 15, says, She said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, he finally told her. Have you ever had anybody in your life that pestered you, that pressed you, that vexed you to death? They may have been manipulating you. Okay, so um, there are lots of stories in the Bible that that talk about these things. And there are all kinds of weapons that people use. But there are two very common weapons that people use to manipulate. Um, One of them is guilt and threats. Anybody ever experienced that in their life? You've had somebody that maybe put the guilt trip on you. If you love me, you'll do what I ask. If you love me, if you really care about me, now I'm going to embarrass my kids right now, but um, I got two daughters, all right? And I got some nieces. Now, guys, come on. <laughs> Don't be coming at my daughter like that. If you love me, you, if you love, you know, that's a great way to get hit by a preacher, all right? If you do that, it's a great way for that to happen. You know, I'm not going to have to do that, but it's a good way for that to happen, right? Uh, You know, we've we've heard these things before, uh, you know, after all I've done for you and and you're treating me this way, and and then sometimes we're treated uh, with uh, the silent treatment, right? You ever got that? By somebody that was wanting to manipulate you, I'm just not going to talk to you. Please, 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 we have to operate in more maturity than that, okay? Do not give the silent treatment. Uh, Whatever form that it takes, manipulators are masters. The second weapon is a little more subtle, maybe a little more hard to spot, but it's still deadly, okay? And that is flattery, all right? Let me tell you what isn't flattery. Of all the sermons that you've ever preached, this is one of them. That's not flattery. You can say that to me, you know. But have you ever had somebody who flattered you? They just were rosy and sweet and kind. And it's because they just wanted something, right? They wanted something from you. They, You know, whatever the case may be. My mom was a substitute teacher when I was growing up because it was a job that she could do and be with us when we were in school and be home when we were home and all that kind of jazz. And there was a guy who always was my best friend when my mom was sub in the class. How convenient. And he told her how wonderful she was and how awesome she was. And my mom was like, you need to be friends with that guy. I said, that dude don't know me until you're here, okay? Flattery. It's it's a tool. It's a weapon. And Proverbs twenty seven six says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Flattery from someone who is out for unscrupulous gain not a good thing. Why are the wounds of a friend faithful? ever ever been wounded by a friend anybody ever experienced that have somebody that you love sit you down and say hey I don't think what you're doing is a great idea I think the way you're you're uh, behaving here or maybe a road that you're going down maybe not the best thing anybody ever had that do you like it when they were talking to you initially most of the time we don't most of the time it's, it's irritating, it's frustrating. It's like, you know, we want to say, stay in your lane. My lane's here. Your lane's here. Get out of my lane. And, and, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. An enemy would actually, when they see you going down a path that you're not supposed to be going down, man, they come put their arm around you and say, yeah, man, keep on doing that. That's awesome. Because we like laughing at you at your expense. We like to see you stumble and fall. We want, you know, whatever it may be, but there's a reason that they're doing that. So there are a lot of different weapons that people use, none of them which lead to life, and none of them which lead to health. The good news is the Bible gives us examples of how to deal with manipulation. Many examples. Our number one is Jesus And uh, we're going to call it the four R's. I'm going to look at four things that we do when uh, manipulation comes into our life and how we can respond to that. The first thing we do is recognize uh, when someone is trying to manipulate us. Now, uh, and I failed to do this, and I always fail to do this. If you are following along in notes, you can go to the app, the Bridge app, and you can go to the notes section of the app, and you will find All of this information there. If you're watching online, we welcome you and you can do the same thing uh, online as well. But the first thing we want to do is recognize that someone's trying to manipulate us. Now this may seem obvious and there's no reason to spend any time on it. But there are people that are so good at it, you don't even know it's happening to you when it's happening. But then there are other folks who don't even recognize they're doing it because really their intention, their heart is good for you. They want what's best for you, but they're going about trying to help you in the wrong way. So what I want to do is look at this account in Matthew chapter 16. We're in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 21. Jesus is nearing the time of his crucifixion. Now, uh, just a few verses before this, what we see in the Bible is that uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who, who are the people saying I am? Who do they say that I am? And, uh, and then he asked, who do you say I am? Do you remember that? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. That's who you are. And, and Jesus was so... Uh, pleased with that he said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it I mean he just gave him some accolades right there for the response that Peter gave him in that moment then we get here I mean we're just a few verses down And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And he said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, do you think Peter had ill intent when he did that? You think he was trying to be ugly or bad? No. He was looking after Jesus. Jesus had just, had just spoken to him in, in, such a, in such a beautiful way. But then he says, this is going to have to happen in order for the will of my Father to be accomplished here on this earth. And he said, no, that can't happen. So he, he presses in. And if you notice what he does here, he pulls Jesus aside. Because a lot of times, even when people have good intentions but they're manipulating in a way, they pull you aside because you're more vulnerable when you're alone. The other reason that it's better to pull you aside and try to encourage you to do this thing or that thing, one thing or another, whether it's good or bad, is because uh, you're not in a position to get a second opinion immediately. It's like, okay, you need to make a decision right now. I just think this is best. And and, and so then then Peter starts in with the weapons. He's like, you can't die. You're too important to us. I'll protect you, Jesus. I'll never let this happen to you. When you're in that mode of manipulation, it seems so good and so righteous that it's hard to see it. It's hard to recognize that it's actually happening. So Jesus recognized it, and I wanted to give you four tests that you can take to determine if you're in a relationship where someone may be doing that to you. It's not in your notes, so if you want to write it down on a separate sheet of paper, or you can go back and look at uh, the website tomorrow, and you'll be able to pull up the sermon. Uh, But one, uh, one of the ways that you know you're in a relationship with a manipulative person is you can't say no to that person. They just, you can't say, no matter what it is, you just, oh gosh, I feel so bad. If I say no to them, how are they going to respond? How is this going to affect them? How are they going to react if I tell them no? I don't want to hurt them. Uh, There's a a sense of obligation. Uh, We feel guilty when interacting with other people. Uh, or with that person because have you ever been in in the little triangle of friendship where you, you're you a friend and you're friends with this person and you're friends with this person, but they don't jee-haw. Anybody ever heard of that word before, jee-haw? Get along, that's what it means. They don't get along. And so when you get around this person, they make you feel bad or guilty because you've spent some time over here with it. How could you do that? How could you hang out with you know? They don't need to be the relationship police and tell you who you can be friends with or not unless now that friendship or relationship is not healthy and good for you. Thirdly, you feel responsible for the problems in the relationship. You see this often uh, in, in different types of relationships where there is deflection present. Anybody know what deflection is? When you deflect, there's an issue, there's a problem in your relationship and there's one person who's always putting it back on you or putting it on everybody else. You ever known anybody who it never was their fault? They never did anything wrong. I don't know who did it. You know, Casper the friendly ghost, I don't know. But there's you. Know, um, I, I, I heard a story one time, uh, Pastor Farrell told about uh, his son Mitch and, and they had, they were little kids, and, and as a matter of fact, lived right over here across the street, and uh, they had a little brown four-door economy car, and and the name Mitch had been carved on the hood of the car, and he said, I, I, I hope Pastor Farrell's okay with me sharing this. this is a funny story. He 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 walks out and he looks at it and he sees the hood of the car and he walks back in and he and he calls Mitch and he said Mitch I need you to come down here and he comes down and he looks at the car and he says Do you have any idea who carved the name on the hood of this vehicle? And he goes, Beats me. Evidently, some guy named Mitch. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's never never your fault. Never your so um. And then fourthly, uh, when you're in a relationship with someone, and you feel like you have to compromise your values, if you're in a relationship with someone and you feel like if I'm if I'm going to do if I'm going to be a friend to this person, then I'm going to compromise something uh, in, on the moral compass there, and and it's not healthy for me. It's not life giving to me. It's not something good. And so, you know. Uh, Those are signs, those are tests that you may be in a relationship that is manipulative. And um, it's not that you have to end that relationship, but you do need to sit down and have a conversation, which leads us to what you do when you recognize it. Uh, The second R is you refuse to be controlled. You refuse to be controlled. Susan Balducci shared a story uh, that I found About her mom. She says, my mother, a master of guilt trips, showed me a photo of herself waiting by a phone that never rings. Mom, I I call at the time, I said, uh, if you had an answering machine, you'd know that I call you all the time. That I'm I'm trying to reach you all the time. But there's no way that you can possibly know that because you don't have caller ID and you don't have an answering machine. Soon after, my brother installed one for her. When I called her the next time, I got her machine. And here is what the greeting on her machine said. If you're a salesperson, press 1. If you're a friend, press 2. If you're my daughter who never calls, press 911 because the shot will probably give me a heart attack. Okay? (laughs) so. So trying to manipulate, and so I'm sure what this lady did after she heard that greeting on the answering machine, called her mom and said, Mom, you got to stop with the guilt trip, okay? I'm calling. Does that type of behavior make you want to call more or want to call less, okay? Um, Oftentimes it is counterintuitive. Jesus always hit it head on. Something was going on. If there was something that he noticed, whether it's manipulation that we're talking about or anything else, the lesson that we learn from the life of Jesus is we hit things head on when we see them, we deal with them. Jesus turned to Peter when he said what he said to him in verse 23, and it's behind you. It said, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He said, nope, I'm not going to be manipulated. I'm not going to be told that this is not what I want to do because I know the mind of God and I know why he's called me to do what I'm about to do. I need need your support and I need your encouragement. I don't need you telling me that this isn't going to happen. Now, it didn't come from a bad place and he wasn't trying to be cantankerous. He just wanted to protect Jesus. But when we see manipulation happening... We have to refuse it immediately. If you are being manipulated day in and day out, over and over and over again, at some point the responsibility lies on me and you. And we have to say no more. Not going to do that. Not going to let that happen. Number three, the third R, is we have to realize that allowing manipulation is sin and idolatry. Anyone you put above the leadership of God becomes your God. That's worth writing down. Anybody you put above the leadership of God becomes your God. When you listen to them over the will and word uh, of God, then they become your God. And when you allow someone other than God to direct your path, that is idolatry. And God said in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have what? No other God's Before me. I take preeminence over everything. Here is your priority list. This is the top of the priority. Jesus is at the top. God is the only one with the right to call the shots in your life. You're in a personal relationship with Jesus, it's always Him first. What does the Bible have to say about what I'm about to do? I don't even care what popular culture has to say about a decision that you need to make. What does the Word of God say? And how many of you know, and I find myself saying this uh, oftentimes, uh, You know, if I'm in a counseling type situation or whatever, uh, when I'm with a person, I will tell them, listen, a lot of times the right thing to do, is the hardest thing to do okay if you're gonna do what's right it's gonna take effort it's gonna take work it's you're gonna have to be committed to it but I'm telling you in the long run you're going to be happy that you made that decision and you took that stand okay so we got to recognize it we got to refuse to be controlled we have to realize and remember that manipulation if we're allowing that in our lives or we're doing that look if you're positioning yourself In a role that God's supposed to have, you need to take a step back. You're not Jesus. Neither am I. And so we have to recognize that, realize what that is. And then lastly, we have to redefine the relationship. We redefine the relationship. So let's look at the next couple of verses. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it what does that mean what does that mean does that mean that god wants you to walk out of here today and i don't know why we always pick on trains and buses but you know <laughs> he doesn't want us doing that he doesn't want us he doesn't want us to 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 lose our life here's what he wants he wants us to surrender our life He wants us to surrender our life. And a lot of us have done a really good job of surrendering most parts of our life. We've surrendered this thing and we've surrendered that thing. But there are certain rooms, there are certain areas of our life where we have kept the doors closed and locked. And we've kept God out. And we have not allowed Him in to do what He wants to do. And what God is looking for, He is looking for our surrender to Him. And our relationship he wants to know we are, uh, our desire, our heart's desire is him, what he wants. What our spouse wants to know is that our heart's desire is them, right? That's what Jesus wants to know as well. So when we talk about this, really what we're talking about is an I- this idea of lordship. You understand, do you understand the difference between Jesus being our Savior and Jesus being our Lord? He is our Savior, He died on the cross, we come to Him, we seek Him for forgiveness and, and He grants that forgiveness when we acknowledge that we are sinners and we can't do this without Him. I was, I was preaching uh, a, a funeral just the other day and all the wonderful things that we had to say about this wonderful, precious lady who's a part of our church. And I said, Z- absolutely none of those things are the reason that that person is in heaven today. None of them. That's not why they're in heaven today. They're in heaven today because they had a relationship with Jesus. He is our Savior. Do you know what he also wants to be? Our Lord. What does lordship look like? What it looks like is him unlocking, you allowing him in to those places in your heart that you've kept everybody from, including him. You've not let him in. You've not given him lordship there. And what God is looking for is lordship in your life. What does that look like on a practical level? Well, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Ruth. We went through the book of Judges uh, last semester in my Wednesday night group. This semester, we're going through the book of Ruth. And if you've never read the book of Judges, it is like, it is something else, you know. I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on there. You need to read the book and, uh, and see for yourself. But Ruth was written around the same, it's in the same time period. But Ruth is a picture of uh, really the opposite of what the folks in Judges were doing. In Judges there was rebellion and disobedience toward God. There was a crying out to God, God forgive us for what we've done and then God would give them a judge and then they would have several years of peace and then it would all just kind of snowball again. How many of you know that our tendency as human beings is when things are really good and things are going well we tend to kind of forget how we got in that good place that we got in? And we start thinking we did it ourselves. We start believing. Let me go ahead and tell you something. Uh, talking about flattery, the hype that people share about you and I, we don't really need to believe that. We're not all that we think we are, okay? Um, it's, it's only because of God and only because of his grace. And so what Ruth uh, is a beautiful example of is what it looks like to walk in obedience to God, to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender everything I am to you. So she's talking in, in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, beginning in verse 16, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. If you know the story of Ruth, Naomi, um, she, she had come and she had, she had met uh, one, of, one of her sons. And, and so Naomi's husband died, father-in-law died, her husband died, her sister-in-law's husband died. So they married two brothers. All the men died. Okay. Um, I'm giving you the Cliff notes version of this thing. And so they find themselves in this place and this is the conversation that they're having with Naomi. Naomi says, look, you need to go back to the land of your family. You need to go back home. There's absolutely no reason for you to stay with me. Uh, your husband is gone. You need to go and, and find another husband. I, I just don't stay here. And her sister-in-law Orpah says, Okay, that's what I'll do. I'll go. Um, Ruth, with tears in her eyes, crying, she says, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there, I will be buried. Do you think Ruth had made up her mind she's going to stay with her (laughs) mother-in-law? It actually says, right, the the very next verse, and I didn't put it in in the notes today, but it says, she just was like, okay, if you're that insistent that you want to do this, come on, you know. But it's on you if you don't like the gig that you have just chosen. (laughs) She didn't say that. That's just me indulging. But uh, that's pretty much the deal. She said, okay, I'm going to do this. Why did Ruth do this? Because she knew it was the will of God. Does what she say she wanted to do here, how she declared she was going to do this, does that sound easy? No, it doesn't sound easy. It would have been way easier to go back to what she knew. It would have been way easier to go back to what was comfortable. But what God called her to do was to stay With Naomi and if you know the story of Ruth you know that because she was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing we've been talking about this on Wednesday too she was abiding in the revealed will of God she there are things that God tells us we're supposed to do right and we're not supposed to do think about the Ten Commandments in the Ten Commandments, there are some clear-cut things we are supposed to do and not supposed to do. One of them we just talked about. We just read it. No God before me, right? There's some other things. What's another thing in the Ten Commandments that we're not supposed to do? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill, you know. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. That, that, there's all kinds of things that we're not supposed to do. That's the revealed will of God. A lot of times, we're praying, Lord, I want you to just uncover this thing, this mystery in my life. I, I need breakthrough in this area. I've been praying for for years and years and years, and we're not even doing the revealed will of God because we've got this stuff in our life that we're just kind of, well, God, you got all that other stuff. This right here's mine. I'll take care of this. And he says, okay. The Bible tells us That when we are faithful with little, he knows we will be faithful with much. And then what can he do? He can give us what he desires to pour into our lives. Now, Ruth lost a lot. Lost a lot. Was away from from her homeland, had lost her husband is standing in front of her mother-in-law really the only family at that particular point in time in her life that she had and she's saying, leave, why don't you just go away? I mean, how do you think that made her feel? And she said, no, I'm, I'm supposed to stay, I'm staying. And as the story unfolds, there's a man named Boaz that notices her gleaning in a field and I'm not going to teach that tonight, you'll have to come on Wednesday to get the Ruth teaching. But here's the bottom line. Because she said, I will surrender everything to what I believe God wants me to do. She was where she was supposed to be when she was supposed to be there. And it didn't look like, it didn't feel like, nothing around her would have made her believe that God was about to do Ephesians 3.20. Exceedingly and abundantly beyond all she could ask or think. But in that obedience, that's exactly what God did. Because Boaz noticed her. Boaz took a shine to her. And she was blessed exceedingly abundantly beyond what she ever thought would happen. This sermon today, part three of this thing about manipulation, is... Is is about it's about lordship. Who is going to be number one in my life? Who is going to get bend my ear first? And when we make the declaration that Jesus, it's going to be you, then what we do is we position ourselves, even if we can't see right now. Somebody need a breakthrough, somebody need God to do something big in your life? Put position yourself in the right place. Be where you're supposed to be. Anybody, I asked this the other Wednesday night, anybody ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? This guy has. I've been there more than once because I'm a slow learner <laughs> but get in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know it in a hurry, right? You know, especially when there's blue light shining behind you and you, yeah, you just you, you, get in the, you get in your car and I, I I had a uh, we had some auto repair that we had to do on our vehicle this week, and I went to see my mom in Georgia, and I rented I rented a car. I just wanted just a regular, run-of-the-mill, whatever kind of car, and um, uh, they gave me an Audi. My sister-in-law said, "That's that circle car. What is that? I don't know what that is." You know, well, man, I'm telling you, I don't drive them. I've never have actually. I've never driven one. Man, that car drives great. And let me go ahead and tell you, you can be doing 80 and not even know it, all right? So, um, so I'm, having to, I'm having to say, okay, God, I'm about to preach on lordship. I need you to be lord of this uh, accelerator that I'm pushing down because, man, it'll go 90 and I don't even know I'm doing it, you know. But I'm constantly looking behind me seeing if there's a blue light if I'm going that fast, right? Yes, I did not go that fast did not get a ticket. I did not give the state of Georgia, South Carolina, or North Carolina any more money. Um, but that's what God's looking for, guys. He's looking for lordship in our life. So the question is, what in our lives do we need to surrender to him? Yes, if there are manipulative people in your life, deal with that. If you're a manipulator, get on your face before God about it. And ask Him to help you in that. Because look, you may be doing it with great intentions. But it's it's not what God wants you to do. But the real question for me today, what God really pressed on me, is is this idea, who takes the dominant role in my life? And my prayer is that you can answer Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, as we consider who you are and and we think about our own personal lives, when I think about mine, I mean, I stand up here and and preach this sermon, and it it, it really, I mean, I just, honestly, I just need to be looking in a mirror because all of this is, you know, at, at some point or another in my life, I've been that guy. And I consistently stand in need of of your help. Of your strength. I, I, I every day need to bring something under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And right now, this afternoon, this balmy October afternoon, I just pray that we would be serious with you. That we would be... Bold enough to look at what we know We need to do The decision we need to make And that we would say yes to you God In the area of lordship Wherever that is in our life There's a room in our heart There's a place in our life Whether it's our it's our thought life Or the way we speak Or the way we think Or, or how we interact with people God Whatever it is God that we would Come under submission to your will. And then, Lord, if there are those here today who don't know you, they've never entered into a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that they say yes to you. Because the other part of that passage of Scripture that I, that I did not share in Matthew 16, verse 26 says, What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world, but loses his soul. God, my heart is that no one in earshot of my voice would turn away from the truth of your word. But that they would come to you. They would ask for forgiveness and they would receive it fully and completely from you. Lord, that's my prayer in Jesus' name. God, thank you for the time we've had together today. I I do pray, Lord, that you just bless the remainder of our day and help us leave encouraged, motivated to have you, Lord, of every area of our life. When I think about the area of lordship for these parents who stood up on this stage today, they need your guidance and direction to do this well. We get 18 years Lord, give us as parents wisdom to parent in a way that would please you. I want my kids to love me, and I want them to like me. But more than anything else, I want you, God, to know that I did this in such a way that I was obedient to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ or rededicated your life to Jesus, please, we want to know that. You can text it, 55498.